we're here. We've made it. If you're here for the first time and you're wondering, okay, what is it that we do here? This is the read and rant. Okay. And, and essentially all that we're doing is, is we're spending time in the reading of the word. Uh, we're spending time in the reading of scripture. That's really our, our priority here. Um, if there's anything that I desire, it's for everyday believers to say that they've read through the entire Bible. And, and one of the travesties I believe in today's church is, is that we, um, we have people who have, has spent decades in the faith and yet have not, cannot, you know, confess or profess to say that they have read the entire scripture. I think that's a travesty. I think every believer, um, if you're going to grow, it's one of the necessities of your faith is to read the word and, and, and to read it in its totality. And, and a lot of times what happens is a lot of people fall into uh, false teaching or they'll fall into um, improper interpretations of the scripture simply because they don't read through it. They don't read through it in its totality. Um, a lot of the misinterpretations and the brokenness that we see even in our church today really comes out of the fact that people are reading microcosmic sections of the Bible, microcosmic sections of the scripture. And when you read only a portion of it without the context of the totality of it, you lose the message of the scriptures. And that's why we have what we have today. And so it's important for us to stay in the word. And so that's really why we do this. And and, and so we, we've been doing this now for the past few months. We have read through the entire New Testament, spending just 20 to 30 minutes a day reading the scripture. We read through the entire New Testament and we've read, and now we're reading through the entire Old Testament. We've read through Genesis, we read through Exodus, and now we're in Leviticus. And of course, we just took a, a almost a two week hiatus because of obviously all the stuff that I just spoke about that has transpired. But I, I anticipate that we're going to continue to press on, continue to press forward. And if there's anything that you've seen that has transpired in our time in reading the scripture, and I hope you're beginning to see that as as you read it in its totality, you begin to realize there's some questions that you had that you may not have anymore that are being answered. There's a broader um, perspective of the scripture that you have now that illuminates you to, oh, wow, maybe I have been reading this the wrong way. Maybe I have, I have a misinterpretation. Um, wow. Now that I'm reading it within its totality, I have a different perspective now. And, and I hope it's liberating. And I believe it is liberating. I've got a lot of messages from you guys saying how much this has liberated you. So guys, I'm, I want to encourage you if you are here and you're here for the first time and you're wondering, okay, this read and rant thing is kind of, is kind of cool. I wish I was, I was a part of this from the beginning. I know this isn't a Bible study, but I believe even through just this reading, it is liberating. It will liberate you when you actually read it and read what it says and look at what it says and, and receive from it what the Lord has to speak to us. And if you want to, you can, you can, you can catch up. We're starting to post now the read and rants in the podcast. So I have a podcast that I posted, which is basically what we're doing right now that I just put into audio format and I podcast it. And so it's called the read and rant podcast. I want to encourage you. You can go ahead and subscribe to that. Subscribe to the read and rant podcast. Um, I know they're delayed, maybe about a month or so delayed. So if you, you know, you missed the past few months, you can start catching up just by checking out the podcast. But if you are, if you want the real time, like this particular reading rant and you want to receive it, I have my Facebook group uh, as well. 
This is my family. It's called the font everywhere. It's my my community, my my the, the body of Christ, the family of people who've come together to encourage each other to read the word together. It's a it's a private Facebook group, but all you have to do is just send a request and you're gonna you you're, you'll get in. Um and I want you to invite people as well. Um first time back in two weeks. <laughs> yes, yes. No, it's it's great. It's great. It's amazing, Jason, that we have people who are still flowing in um as and so, yeah, so all that's to say, if you missed today's reading rant or any reading rant from here on out and you're like, hey, I missed the reading rant, I missed today's reading, you can just go to the Facebook group. It's there. It'll be available to you because we are, we're broadcasting there and I'm saving them there as well. And so uh, we actually have a Facebook community right now who's attending as well. So I want to say, hey, fam, so good to see you. Lyle, good to see you, Lyle. Uh, Saritha, Nay, good to see you. It's good to see all of y'all. And I'm just, man, I'm so encouraged. Oh, the Facebook group. Uh, the font everywhere. Thank you for asking. The font everywhere. Okay, it's the font everywhere. Um, but I am so glad to be back. I told you guys, today is going to be a little bit different in that we're going to take it a little easy. Um, because you know, we're, we're recalibrating, but I do want to spend some time in reading. Let me give you a little bit of context. Um, so the font is, yes, that's right. F O N T. So the F O N T and then everywhere. Okay. And go ahead and send a request and, and, uh, we'll bring you in. We're, we're getting closer now to a thousand people and we haven't even publicly announced it yet. So it's incredible to see how how we have a fruitful community growing there and you guys are getting the word, you're getting the reading that we do every day. So um incredibly encouraged by that. Now, what I want to do is, is kind of just quickly recap where we're at. And I think it's partly for me as well, because I, I didn't even know where we were. Thank you, Alyssa, um, for helping calibrate me to where we're supposed to be in the reading of the word. Um, We've read through now Genesis. We're in the Old Testament now. And we were kind of cheating because we've read the New Testament and the New Testament because the Old Testament generally leads us in a tension. The New Testament relieves that tension. Okay. The New Testament relieves the tension, but the Old Testament leaves us in a tension. Um, But we already have the relief of the tension in that we've read through the entire New Testament. That is through the Gospels and and uh, through the, the, the story and the birth of the church up until the eschatological finality of things in Revelation. And I hope Revelation was, was very much um, liberating to you. But now let's go back here. And now that we're in, uh, we're, in, we're in the Old Testament, what we're reading through right now, I know this isn't a Bible study, but I, I want to make sure we're all aligned here that what we're reading through right now is what uh, is what theologians refer to as the Pentateuch, the Pentateuch, Penta five, the five books. These five books um, represent the Mosaic, uh, the Mosaic law. OK, um, these five books are books that that were memorized by um, by. You know, they're memorized by boys by the time they were 15. They would memorize the entire five books. Um, this was fundamental to the Judaic faith and it was fundamental to Hebraic Judaic culture. Fundamental. Um, good morning, Renzo. And so when we, when we, when we read the Pentateuch, these five books, we have to read it understanding 
that these five books are representative of the Hebraic law. I want to make sure I emphasize that the Hebraic law meaning Genesis. And this is how we have to posture ourselves when we're reading this, because we're about to read Leviticus and we're going to be reading uh, maybe two chapters, two or three chapters from Leviticus. It's important. I know we're, we're taking it easy here. So I just want to make sure we're all back because I know we've spent some time away and this is helping me recalibrate as well. Um, the uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. These are the five books that encompass the Mosaic law. The way we read those books, we read them as books written to the children of Israel. Okay. These are, these are books that were written to the children of Israel. We would be an error. Okay. We would be an error to believe that these books were written or to first start off reading these books as if they were written to us. Okay. We would be reading it in error and we would be reading it from a broken, hazed hermeneutic. That is a lens. And often what I find a lot of Christians doing is Christians read Genesis. They read Exodus. They read Leviticus numbers and Deuteronomy, not primarily through the lens of, a, of, of, of laws and ordinances that were instituted for the children of Israel, but rather they wrote it as a book of laws and ordinances written to them or to Christians. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy was not written to Christians. I know that's going to that's make a lot of people uncomfortable. Okay. And we're, we're going to see that through the, as we read through, but these books were not written to Christians. They're not laws specifically written for Christians. That's why we read in Exodus, these law, the 10 commandments. And often people read it as this is a preamble code or a set of 10 rules that, that were written to the Christians in order to be good Christians. That is not how we ought to read that. Okay. These were, these were, this was a preamble to a law that was written to the children of Israel that God had set apart. Okay. So children of Israel, they had set apart to be a nation of priests to the world. Again, we have the cheat code because we read through the new Testament. If you have, if you missed it, I'm just recapping as we get here. Okay. Cause I want us to read in that context because we're going to read this. So as we've been reading through Genesis, as we've been reading through Exodus, reading through the story of God liberating the children of Israel out of Egypt, God institutes the law in Exodus. When he makes a covenant with these people, he makes a covenant with these people because they are the children of Abraham, of Isaac, of Israel or Jacob, Israel. And now the 12 tribes have become an entire nation. Okay. So good to see you, Daniel. So happy to see you here as well. And so now we see this institution of the law and the way Exodus ends. I'm going to take it easy, you guys, because I want to make sure we bring everybody back. The way the book of Exodus ends, it ends with the people, with the revelation that even though the law was written to these people, 
These people failed okay, to adhere to the covenant, the contract, or the agreement that they had with God to be a people that have been set apart. When God says, be holy for I'm holy, holiness is not purity. Holiness is to be set apart, to be set apart. And so he sets them apart. Okay. He sets them apart as a people. And so the way they lived was distinct from the way everyone else lived. Okay. The way they lived was fundamentally different. These were odd people. The, 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 the Hebrew people, the children of Israel were odd people because of the way that they lived. And yet this is the lifestyle that God asked of them in order to be set apart, to show the rest of the world what the kingdom of God looked like, to show the rest of the world what God was like. And they failed. As much as they've been given those laws, they continue to fail. And so Exodus ends with God while being present is not in communion with them. Moses could not enter into the tabernacle. And that's where Leviticus opens. Leviticus opens with Moses being unable to enter into the tabernacle because of the sins of the people. And so what is Leviticus about? I'm making sure I give you guys light to all of this. What Leviticus is about, because we read Leviticus and for many people, because they read it like it's a book of rules for them, they miss the story. They miss it completely because they're reading it as if it was written for them. No, it was not written for you. It's not, sorry, it's not written to you, but it's written for you. It's written to the children of Israel for your edification. And what we, what we're going to begin to see throughout this narrative. Okay. Is that God in Leviticus is instituting a system in the law to bring an unrighteous, unholy people back into his presence. And so now we are here in Leviticus and we see that God is instituting the blood sacrifice as his method of bringing people back into his presence. This is God's way of doing it. And in Leviticus chapter 16, Leviticus chapter 17, God gives, God gives to Abraham and reveals to Abraham why it is that the blood sacrifice is necessary and why the blood was the method of payment. He explains to them that the blood was the method of payment to get back into his presence because the life was in the blood. That is now what we see in Leviticus, Leviticus 17. So in Leviticus 17, he explains to them that the life is in the blood and because a life is in the blood through the blood sacrifice, God is giving an unholy people access back into his holy presence. This is what Leviticus is all about. Leviticus is all about how God who is holy cannot see things that are unholy in his presence. God cannot be holy. 
and for unrighteousness and unholiness to be around him. God cannot be holy and for sin to be around him. And so when God is instituting all these laws, we're seeing the holiness of God, the righteousness of God. We're seeing all this stuff about God. And yet we look at these people and these people do not fit the bill. These people cannot be in God's presence. And yet God is taking all these unrighteous people by his love and his grace. He's giving them away back into his presence. So this is the law. This is the beauty of it. And I want you to, as we read now, we're just going to read one or two chapters. As we read now, be encouraged in your reading. Because as you read now, you're beginning to see how much God loves us. That he would find, he would input into the law, the method of our salvation. He would, he would put into the law, the method of our coming back into his presence. Leviticus is not a book of rules for you to follow. It's a revelation of how God through a broken people who could not follow the rules and his righteousness, how God is giving them access back into his presence. So let's read in Leviticus 21. If you guys can go there in Leviticus 21, I want you to, we're going to read it, but I I hope this all was very helpful to you because I want to read at least two chapters. We're not going to go super hard today. We're going to take it easy, but I do want us to at least spend a little bit of time in reading the word. So we'll read 21 and we'll probably read 22 as well. Okay. Um, And yes, we're going to pray right now. Thank you, Alyssa. Um, as we read, I want you to ask three questions because this is not a Bible study, but I do want you to ask three questions. I want you to ask first, what is God revealing concerning himself? First question. Second question that I want you to ask as you read, because you're going to read this with me. What is God revealing concerning people? And the third question that I want you to ask is what is God revealing concerning me? These are three questions I want you to ask because we're going to posture ourselves in a way to hear from God. Father, I ask right now, Lord, as we stand before you, Lord, we are so encouraged to know, Lord, that Lord, you are speaking to us. Lord, you are not just the word that was written, but you are the word that is spoken and you are the word that is speaking. Father, speak to us, Lord, as we read your word today. Lord, incline our ear towards you, Lord. Convict us where we need conviction. Reveal who you are. Reveal the character of who you are, the heart of who you are. Father, we come before you right now, Lord, anticipating that you would speak to us, Lord, in this time. Lord, I thank you for each and every person who's attending right now. Lord, bless them, Lord, as they read this word. Father, I pray that they wouldn't just be informed by whatever it is that I have to say, because I have very little to say. (laughs) But Lord, that they would be transformed by your voice as they read it. And I ask that in your name we pray. Amen. And amen. Leviticus 21. Let's go. Oh, wow. 830. Man, that was a long introduction. (laughs) Leviticus 21. It says this. And the Lord said to Moses, speak to the priests 
the sons of Aaron, and say to them, None shall defile himself for the dead among his people, except for his relatives who are nearest to him, his mother, his father, his son, his daughter, and his brother, also his virgin sister who is near to him, who has no husband, for her he may defile himself. Otherwise, he shall not defile himself being a chief man among his people to profane himself. They shall not make any bald place on their heads, nor shall they shave the edges of their beards, nor make any cuttings in their flesh. They shall be holy to their God and not profane the name of their God, for they offer the offerings of the Lord made by fire and the bread of their God. Therefore, they shall be holy. They shall not take a wife who is a harlot or a defiled woman, nor shall they take a woman divorced from her husband, for the priest is holy to his God. Therefore, you shall consecrate him, for he offers the bread of your God. He shall be holy to you. For I, the Lord, who sanctify you, am holy. The daughter of any priest, if she profanes herself by playing the harlot, she profanes her father. She shall be burned with fire. He who is the high priest among his brethren, on whose head the anointing oil was poured, and who was consecrated to wear the garment, shall not uncover his head, nor tear his clothes. Nor shall he go near any dead body, nor defile himself for his fathers or his mother. Nor shall he go out of the sanctuary, nor profane the sanctuary of his God. For the consecration of the anointing oil of his God is upon him. I am the Lord. And he shall take a wife in her virginity, a widow or a widowed, or, sorry, a widow or a divorced woman or a defiled woman or a harlot. These he shall not marry, but he shall take a virgin of his own people as wife. Nor shall he profane his posterity among his people, for I, the Lord, sanctify him. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, saying, No man of your descendants in succeeding generations who has any defect may approach to offer the bread of God. For any man who has a defect shall not approach. A man blind or lame, who has not marred face or any limb too long, a man who has a broken foot or a broken hand, or is a hunchback or a dwarf or a man who has a defect in his eye or eczema or scab or is a eunuch. No man of the descendants of Aaron, the priest who has a defect shall come near the off near to offer the offerings made by fire to the Lord. He has a defect and he shall come near to offer the bread of his God. He may eat the bread of his God, both the most holy and the holy. Hmm. good only he shall not go near the veil or approach the altar because he has a defect lest he profane my sanctuaries for i the lord sanctify them and moses told it to aaron and his sons and to all the children of israel chapter 22 now the lord spoke to moses saying speak to aaron and his sons that they separate themselves from the holy things of the children of Israel, that they do not profane my holy name by what they dedicate to me. I am the Lord. 
Say to them, whoever of all your descendants throughout your generations who goes near the holy things which the children of Israel dedicate to the Lord, while he has uncleanliness upon him, that person shall be cut off from my presence. I am the Lord. Whatever man of the descendants of Aaron, who is a leper or has a discharge, shall not eat the holy offerings until he is clean. Whoever touches anything made unclean by a corpse or man who has an emission of semen, whoever touches any creeping thing by which he would have he would be made unclean or any person by whom he would become unclean, whatever his uncleanliness may be, the person who has touched any such thing shall be unclean until evening and shall not eat the holy offerings until he washes his body with water. And when the sun goes down, he shall be clean. And afterward, he may eat the holy offerings because it is his food. Whatever dies naturally or is torn by beasts, he shall not eat to defile himself with it. I am the Lord. They shall therefore keep my ordinance, lest they bear sin for it and die thereby if they profane it. I, the Lord, sanctify them. Oh, man, there's a lot here. No outsider shall eat the holy offering. One who dwells with the priest or hired servant shall not eat the holy thing. But if the priest buys a person with his money, he may eat it. And one who is born in his house may eat his food. If the priest's daughter is married to an outsider, she may not eat the holy offerings. But if the priest's daughter is a widow or divorced and has no child, and has returned to her father's house as in her youth, she may eat her father's food, but no outsider shall eat it. And if a man eats the holy offering unintentionally, then he shall restore a holy offering to the priest and add one fifth to it. They shall not profane the holy offering of the children of Israel, which they offer to the Lord, or allow them to bear the guilt of trespass when they eat their holy offerings. For I, the Lord, sanctify them. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons and to all the children of Israel and say to them, whatever man of the house of Israel or of the strangers of Israel who offer his sacrifice for any of his vows or for any of his freewill offerings, which they offer to the Lord as a burnt offering, you shall offer of your own freewill a male without blemish from the cattle, from the sheep and from the goats. Whatever has a defect, you shall not offer. Hmm. For it is not acceptable on your behalf. Whoever offers a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord to fulfill his vow or free, free will offering from the cattle or the sheep, it must be perfect to be accepted. Hmm. There shall be no defect in it. Those who are blind or broken or maimed or have an ulcer or eczema or scab, you shall not offer to the Lord, nor make offering by fire of them on the altar to the Lord. Either a bull or a lamb that has any limb too long or too short, you may offer as a freewill offering, but for a vow, it will, it shall not be accepted. Hmm. You shall not offer to the Lord what is bruised or crushed or torn or cut, nor shall you make any offering of them in your land, nor 
from a foreigner's hand, shall you offer any of these as the bread of your God? Because their corruption is in them and defects are in them. They shall not be accepted on your behalf. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, when a bull or sheep or goat is born, it shall be seven days with its mother. And on the eighth day and thereafter, it shall be accepted as an offering made by fire to the Lord. Whether it is a cow or you do not kill both her and her young on the same day. And when you offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord, offer it of your own free will. On the same day it shall be eaten. You shall leave none of it until morning. I am the Lord. Therefore, you shall keep my commandments and perform them. I am the Lord. You shall not profane my holy name, but will be hallowed among the children of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. <sighs> um, again, there's so much to unpack from that. But as I've mentioned this before, and we'll stop right here. Tomorrow we'll be reading Leviticus 23. We're going to continue to read on. Um, as I mentioned before, while this may not be a Bible study specifically, uh, this is a reading. It's a meditational reading. We're here to just hear from God, but we learn some things in his word at the same time. And, and as I'm reading something that I want you to want you guys to be aware of as I'm reading is I am praying through my reading. And I'm asking God, what do you want me to see today? What do you want me to hear today? What are you asking of me, Lord? What do you want of me? What are you revealing about who you are? What are you revealing about me? What are you convicting me of? What are you encouraging me of? What are you motivating me towards? Lord, speak to me. I tweeted this maybe two days ago two or three days ago, don't ever read the word of God without expecting to hear from God. Let me say that again. Don't ever read God's word without expecting to hear from him. We should always come to his word with a spirit of expectation. This is not a textbook. It's not a book where we sit there, we just read it. And we learn information and, and we acquire knowledge. Guys, the word of God was not meant to inform us. It was meant to transform us. Jesus doesn't want an informed mind. God does not want an informed mind. God wants a transformed mind. He says, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the word is not meant to give information. It's not meant to inform you, which is why there's some of you who are reading going, man, this is so confusing. I don't understand it. There's a lot I don't understand. I don't get back up. It's not for you to understand intellectually because there are those who understand it intellectually and still do not know God. 
There are those who have uh, an awareness of the word and do not know God. There are those who are filled with information and knowledge and do not know God. The scriptures even tell us that. that God has a way he feels about knowledge. He says that knowledge puffs up. And often what happens is, is we get informed and it makes us prideful. It makes us prideful. And yet we, we get all this information and knowledge and we wonder why we're not being transformed because we read the word as if it's an informational book. The word of God is not meant to inform you, which is why it's not that I'm knocking Bible study. I love Bible study. Obviously, I love studying the word of God. I love it. Okay. I love teaching it as well. And I'm not here to just teach it because what I've learned is, is after many years of teaching and doing Bible study, there are people who never change. They never transform. They never know God. They never deliver. They, ne- they, they, they never, why? Because they have been informed by what the Bible says, but they haven't been transformed by the voice of God, which is why if you're going to read God's word, you have to read it with a posture to say, God, I'm emptying myself. Fill me with your spirit. Allow me to hear from you by your spirit. His words are spirit. And that's why it's important. It's critical for us. So as I'm reading this, there's so much information here that I can unpack. But there's one thing that that, that God is, is convicting me of and encouraging me with in this moment. The two things that I notice here as I'm reading, and I just want to point it out to you. This is what I'm doing as I'm praying. I'm asking God, what is he saying concerning himself? I'm asking God, what is he saying concerning people? And I'm asking God as I'm reading, what is he saying concerning me? And these are the things that God is pointing out to me as I'm reading this word. This is what I see. There is a continual iteration here as the, as God is giving these laws. Some of them are uncomfortable, by the way, he's giving these laws to these people. He keeps iterating this over and over again. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. He says over and over again. I am the Lord. God is all powerful. But he's not just God in how we understand him in his power. He is also Lord. See, a Lord is one who is above and in control of and has authority over. If someone is your Lord, they are your master. If someone is your Lord, they dictate where your life goes. If someone is your Lord, they lead you to what they desire for you and not what you desire. And so as God is iterating these laws to these people, every time he iterates it, he reminds them and says to them, I am the Lord. He didn't say I am a Lord. He said, I am the Lord. I am your Lord. It's my will over your life. It's, it's my desire. It's my agenda. It's what I desire for you. It's not about what you want. So he speaks to who he is in relation to them. God speaks to who he is in relation to all things, 
but Lord speaks to who he is in relation to the people that he has called by his name. He is Lord, meaning he dictates my life. He tells me where I go. He tells me what I do. He tells me how to do it. It's not my will. It's his will. And so he is the Lord and he's emphasizing this over and over again. I'm telling you to do these things because I am the Lord speaking to who he is as not just in relation to them, but who he is as a God who is holy and who is righteous. God is righteous. God is holy. There's no one comparable to him. There's no one who is like him in him is perfection in him. He is the embodiment of everything that is perfect. And because he is perfect, watch this now. And because he is holy, if anything comes into his presence that is unholy, then he cannot persist and continue to be holy. There's some people that are like, well, you know, why is God, why is God a certain way about sin? Why is God so, so specific about, you know, these all laws and ordinances? He's very specific about them because he's holy. You see, God cannot be God if he accepts imperfection, if he accepts unholiness, if he accepts unrighteousness. He cannot be God if we come before him unholy and unrighteous. Is anybody understanding where, where I'm coming from here? And so what encourages me as I'm reading this, I see this over and over again, how he's iterating over and over again. This is how things ought to be because I am the Lord. But now watch the next part. And this is where I want to close with. Notice here that God is very specific about the sacrifice that you bring to him. God is very specific about the sacrifice that you bring to him. That if he's holy, the sacrifice must be pure. The sacrifice can't be with, with blemish. Notice this is what's being emphasized here. He's emphasizing to the children of Israel that he cannot accept substandard sacrifices. Can't hear me? Can you guys hear me clearly? Let me know. I want to see a thumbs up because I want to make sure you're hearing this. I want to see a thumbs up here. This is important because these are the two things that I want you to catch. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Beautiful. Thumbs up. Um, God does not accept and he cannot accept blemish sacrifices. He's making this emphasis through this text. He's making it over and over again. He's making this emphasis. It can't be without blemish. These are the standards. This is the standard. This is the standard. This is what it needs to look like. This is what it, it's got to be this. It, it, and so God has the standard. Now watch this. Not only does he have a standard for the sacrifice, but God in his holiness has a standard for the one who brings the sacrifice to him. Remember what I said before. 
that this God who is holy, remember Leviticus is all about a God who is holy and how he brings an unholy and unrighteous people back into his presence. He does it through the payment and the economy of blood because the life is in the blood. So he asked them to bring a sacrifice. Notice now that if they are, if they ought to bring the sacrifice, they themselves could not bring the sacrifice. There needed to be an arbiter who would administer the sacrifice to him. Meaning someone else had to be purified and cleansed in order to come with the sacrifice. We call that person the priest. The priest was the minister of the sacrifice. The priest was the one who brought the sacrifice to God. Meaning now, I hope you guys see this. What's being emphasized here is that God is saying, I am the Lord. I am holy. I am righteous. And because I'm holy and because I'm righteous, you can't even bring the sacrifice to me, even if you had it. I hope everybody's seeing where I'm at. Meaning, even if you did have a sacrifice that was worthy of being the payment that would bring you back into good standing with God, even if you did have the sacrifice to bring you back into the presence of God, you could not enter into the presence of God with the sacrifice because you yourself are unholy. And because you yourself are impure, somebody had to do it for you. Are y'all catching me here? Because often here's what we think. We sometimes come to God with our, <laughs> with our own mentalities, with our own agendas, with our own positions, with our own desires. We don't accept them as Lord, but we come with our own form of authority and our own form of acceptance for God. And so when we come to the presence of God, we come to him feeling guilty, ashamed. You know, we have all those things, right? We come before him knowing, man, God, I messed up. But you have to understand if you come to God with your blemish, the moment you come to God with your blemish, he cannot continue to be God. I, I want to make sure you guys are catching this. The moment the children of Israel, if they were impure or they sinned, they could not come before God with the sacrifice because the moment they would enter into his presence, with the sacrifice, they, God would cease to be God. And so God is emphasizing, I am the Lord. So even if I had the right payment, even if I had what it took for me to get back into the presence of God, even if I had what it took, I still can't come to God with it because the very payment that I need to bring me into right standing with God, I can't bring it to God. I need a mediator, somebody to come and to bring it for me. And that was the priest. In, in Leviticus chapter 21, he speaks to the priest and the necessity of the priest. He says, you shall, in, in Leviticus chapter 21, verse seven, he says, they shall not take 
who the priest should be. They can't take a wife who is a harlot or a defiled woman, nor shall they take a woman who is divorced from her husband, for the priest is holy to his God. Notice, he he's saying the priest is on a different standard because the priest is the one that has to come with the sacrifices of the people. He has to be holy to his God because if he is not holy, then there is no arbiter now to come and to bring the payment for all the other people who need a mediator that will bring them back into the presence of God. In, ver- in, in verse 17, he says, speak to Heron saying, no man of your descendants in succeeding generations who has any defect may approach to offer the bread of his God. Meaning anybody with a physical defect, this is a reminder if they have a physical defect, if they have, um, if they got a short hand, if they have, um, their limbs are too long, or if, even if their if their face is marred, if they got a scar on their face, they couldn't come to the presence of God. Speaking to how holy God is, that they could not come because the person who's coming to arbitrate the sins of the people. Right. That person who comes to arbitrate the sins of the people must be holy. He must be perfect. No man of the descendants of Aaron, the priest who at uh, verse 21, no man of the descendants of Aaron, the priest who has a defect shall come near to offer the offerings made by fire to the Lord. Not only can they not come to offer bread, but they cannot come to offer um, offerings by fire. Those are the sin offerings. Why? Because it says in verse 21, he has a defect. He shall not come near to offer the bread to God. He may eat the bread of his God, both the most holy and the holy. He can partake, but he cannot mediate. Ooh. He can partake, but he cannot mediate. So all the children of Israel knew that if they were to come to the presence of God, it would not be by any of their doing, but by someone who would administrate and arbitrate it for them. This law is revealing how What's the word I want to use? This law is revealing how desperate they are for someone to come and to represent them. That's what this text is showing. That God is saying, if you're going to come into my presence, you're going to need someone else to come first. If you're going to come into my presence, you're going to need someone to do the work of counting whatever sin you committed as zero. If you're going to come into my presence, you're going to need a mediator and that mediator needs to be without blemish. So the sacrifice needs to be without blemish. The mediator needs to be without blemish, not only without blemish, the sacrifice, sorry, the mediator can't even touch anything that was close to anything that sin had committed anything bodily fluids any kind of uh, um, scab 
anything that pertained to sickness, disease, anything that pertained or related to death, if you touched a dead body, you were considered unclean. It speaks into what the reality was that the children of Israel faced. And as I read this today, because we are left in attention, but I'm going to release it for a moment. Because notice that the children of Israel, and this is why, family, I want to make sure you're hearing this now. This is why we can't read the Old Testament as if it is written to us. Because if we read the Old Testament as if it is written to us, we are submitting to a lesser covenant. We are submitting to a lesser contract. We have to read read it as if the Old Testament was written to a people who now we get to be beneficiaries of something that is much better. (laughs) If you want to, you can put it in the chat. You got something better than them. You have something better than the children of Israel. You have something better than the Hebrew Israelites. You have something better than them. What you have is a perfect sacrifice. And what you have is a perfect priest. You've got a priest who came with a sacrifice that was perfect. A perfect priest with a perfect sacrifice. We have something better than the children of Israel, which is why you can't be confined to the Ten Commandments. You cannot be confined to the the, the law. You can't be confined to, well, we got to make sure we're clean and unclean. And which one do I do? It says here that I can't ball my head. It says here that I can't put a line. I can't get a line up. That's what it says here in chapter 21, that the priests couldn't even have a line up and they couldn't do these things. These are things that we cannot do. And what we realize is we're submitting ourselves to a law that is lesser when God is saying we have something better. See, I'm reading this with the cheat code. I read the new Testament and because I read the new Testament and because I read the book of Hebrews, now you're seeing how the book of Hebrews coincides with this book and with the Pentateuch is because the book of Hebrews tells us that we have a better covenant. We got a better contract. We have a, we have a better priest. There was a high priest in this time that needed sanctification for himself. But now we have a high priest who did not need to be sanctified because that high priest was already perfect. His name was Jesus. We have a sacrifice that had no blemish. We had a sacrifice that had no mark. We had a perfect sacrifice. That sacrifice was Jesus. And because we have a perfect sacrifice, the, the, the priest himself was also the sacrifice. That's why the Bible tells us that there's one mediator between God and man, because the man who is Jesus was the priest, who was the mediator, who was also the sacrifice. Christ gave himself as a sacrifice. So because of that, and as a result of that, we don't need to submit and come before God, asking God about whether or not we can come into his presence. God had instituted in Leviticus, and that's what we're beginning to see now, is God is showing you, this is the payment that gets you back into my presence. It's not how good you are. It's not how great you behave. It's not how good you 
act is. It's not how, how often you read the Bible. It's not how often you, you went to church. It's not how good of a person you are. It's not the fact that you didn't sin three weeks ago and, or, or it's been two months since you've been clean or because none of those things are the reason why you can come into the presence of God. The only reason why the children of Israel were permitted to come into the presence of God is because there was a priest who came with their sacrifice and now through their sacrifice was brought into the presence of God. And in the same way that they can come into the presence of God with a lesser sacrifice, we have an even better sacrifice that gives us access to God simply through the mediating of Jesus Christ himself. See, here's the thing. When we come to the presence of God, we often come to his presence feeling like we don't deserve to be there. There are those of us who come to the presence of God feeling like we shouldn't even be here. There, there, there are those of us who come before the presence of God feeling shame, guilt, feeling like, man, I know what I did yesterday. There's somebody here who what you did last night is prohibiting you from coming to God now. There's some people who you've allowed the enemy to deceive you and to lie to you and to present to you all the sins that you have committed and to say to you, you can't come before God, you're trash. You can't come before God because Look at the stuff that you've done. Look at what you've come. Look at what you've done. So no, you don't get to come to God. So for some of us, we don't know how to come before the presence of God. Because we can't fix ourselves. We can't, we can't, we can't correct anything. We're a wreck and we've tried to fix ourselves. How many people have tried to, to make things right and yet they keep on sinning or they, they make these mistakes and they don't know why. And they're, and they're like, I, how do I come before God the way that I am? And God is saying, you can't come before me the way that you are. But I'm teaching you in this scripture that I've given a way for you to come back into my presence. And that's through somebody coming before you on your behalf with a sacrifice. My response to you today is that this is a prelude to Jesus. If you, if you're, if you have these questions right now, you're like, man, we didn't read that part. That's fine. Go back to Hebrews and read it now with everything you just read. If you read Hebrews, you're going to realize that Hebrews brings light to the fact that there's someone who did come before you on your behalf. So now you don't need to come to God. Pay, pay very close attention to this family. You don't need to come to God. Correct. Because someone else did it for you. 
who has already paid the price for you. So now what do you do? As Hebrews tells us, we come boldly before the throne of grace. We come boldly into the presence of God. God knew your sins. He knew what you would do before you did it. He knew He knew what you did last night and he knew before that you would do it. <laughs> and yet we let the devil and the enemy lie to us and tell us, well, until you get it together, you can't come to God. There's some people right now who in their mind, they have fallen into the deception of the enemy that says to them, when you get it together, then you can come to God. But that's not what Leviticus tells us. Leviticus tells us you can't come to God unless someone else comes before you. This coming to God has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with what Jesus did for you. Don't fall into the deception of the enemy. There was a perfect sacrifice who came and a perfect priest who administered it and he administered it on the cross. The perfect priest was also the perfect sacrifice. The cross was God's answer to how he can be holy and allow an imperfect, unholy people back into his presence. So for the person who's here today, who's listening to this, who's watching this, and who says, I don't have a perfect sacrifice. That's the lie from the enemy. You do. That sacrifice name is Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The scriptures tell us that for him who knew no sin, he became sin so that we can become the righteousness of God. The scriptures tell us that he is the propitiation of our sins. The scriptures tell us that he is the mediator between God and man. He's the one who stands between us. He's the one that accomplished everything we see here in Leviticus. So now when you come to God, you can come boldly because God does not see you. He does not see your sin. He sees Jesus. Because Jesus was the payment. The scriptures tell us that God knows how to cover up sin. He says, I am the God who sees your sins no more. Isaiah chapter 64. I am the God who sees your sins no more. All he wants is for you to believe. You don't, he is the propitiation. He is the payment. He is the satisfactory payment. And all Leviticus is telling us is how that payment is made. It's made by blood. The priest must be perfect. 
The sacrifice must be perfect. And thank the Lord. We have something better because what they had was a priest without blemish and a sacrifice without blemish. We have a priest who is perfect and a sacrifice that is perfect. It's done. So as you navigate through this day, come before God, not with guilt and shame, come before him boldly to know he came up with the plan for the sin you did yesterday that he knew you would commit. 